morning. It's good to be with you. We'll be in Matthew chapter 21. Happy Palm Sunday. Matthew 21, we'll read the first 11 verses and then pray together. Verse 1, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most uh, of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. God, this morning, by your Spirit working in us, God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your text has to say. God, for we know that when we revere your text, we are revering you because you have spoken and your people need to listen. So God, give us receptive hearts this morning to see that Jesus is King and he truly is worthy of all blessing and honor and glory and power. Well, we love you and we praise you. Amen. We're all aware of how uh, uh, famous people have a, have a difficult life. They can't go out and do ordinary things, and, and I sympathize with them. I have a similar life. Um, it's very, very difficult to go to the grocery store, and so you have to wear disguises and things like that to hide and conceal your identity, right? And so it's very hard to be a famous person, and so, because when you're, uh, your uh, disguise gets compromised and people, you know, people recognize who you are, then, uh, you know, the, the selfie sticks come out, and uh, you have to take pictures with everybody, and so it's hard being famous, you know, because people recognize you, and they, they see you, and they notice who you are, and uh, that's why you got to try and kind of be under the radar, right? And so what's interesting about Matthew 21 is this. Jesus is not hiding anything, right? He's not hiding anything when he's going into Jerusalem, is that for the majority of his ministry up until this point, he's been working under the radar, doing miracles and teaching things, particularly to like little pockets of people, to his disciples, to to some small towns. He's been working on the perimeters, right? But when he's walking into Jerusalem in Matthew 21, everything is out. He's not trying to hide anything about his identity. Everything is being said about him and his actions and what he's doing and what the people are saying about him is that they know that this is somebody significant. This is somebody of royalty. This is somebody divine. This is somebody who is a king. They recognize that about him because he gives off all the signs of that. So let's consider that. Our first point is this. What are the signs of Jesus' kingship? It's the first point on your outline. What this story will tell us, Matthew 21, 1 through 11, 
is that all the actions that are going on in Matthew 21, 1 through 11 are, are pointing us to that this Jesus is the fulfillment of, of the Davidic promise that there will be a king to come. So the expectation in people's minds and the Jews' minds are this, is that there's going to be a, come a king from David's line, and he's going to sit on David's throne, and he's going to rule over God's people, and he's going to conquer all their enemies, and he's going to have an eternal kingdom who nobody will threaten. That's their expectation. That's who they're waiting on. They're longing and waiting for this Davidic king from 2 Samuel 7. And so when Jesus walks in on the scene, they recognize this. All signs point to, this is the guy. This is the guy. He's got all the hallmarks, all the signs of it. It, it would be as if this, let me give you a little pop quiz. Let's say you see a stretch limo driving down an airline highway. Uh, and you see it's got the, the little American flags, uh, you know, waving in the front, and it, it's surrounded by Secret Service agents, and there's a bunch of barricades and a bunch of news cameras, and you got snipers on the roofs, and, uh, and you got police, you know, patrols everywhere. Who do you expect to see? The president. Oh, man, we got a smart crowd, and they? Yeah, the president of the United States. All the signs and the hallmarks of that, right? You, that's who you expect to see. And so... This is what's going on here in Matthew 21, 1 through 11, is that we're getting all the signs and the signals that this is royalty. Now, when you read this, you may not think that. You're like, huh, this doesn't seem how a king should enter Jerusalem, right? The most heated place right now at the time. This doesn't seem like a person of royalty or of significance or uh, divine in any, any sense. But it is. You know, we might be thinking, man, this just looks like a guy with a ragtag bunch of disciples behind him, and he's riding on a kind of ordinary, you know, borrowed donkey. Like, he doesn't show any signs of being a king, right? Right? But actually, he is. Yeah, he doesn't ride on a white horse, and he doesn't have a crown on his head or a sword in his hand or a band of revolutionaries behind him. But he is entering as a king. And the way that Matthew tells us this that he is this king, is that he spotlights particular objects and actions and sayings in the story to show that this is, this is the second Samuel 7 king. This is the Davidic king that everybody's been waiting on. He spotlights this so that when you, when you hear a word or you hear a phrase or you see an action, you, you, your mind triggers and says, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. So when you're reading Matthew 21, 1-11, you're going to hear things and you're like, okay, it, I've heard this phrase before, I've seen this before, I, I, something, something is happening here that I, I know that I've read somewhere else, right? That's what Matthew's trying to do, trigger things in our mind where we say, that was said in the Old Testament, that, that was said way back. It, it, it's kind of equivalent to, uh, you know, people do brain studies. Anybody ever smelt something and it just takes you back somewhere? Everybody, they call that fragrant, fragrant flashbacks. It actually is a thing. It's like you smell an apple pie or something like that, and then you're just like transported back to your grandmother's kitchen table, and you're just and you feel the breeze in your hair, and you you just you, you're transported back somewhere else just by a fragrance, right? And this is what is happening in Matthew 21: is that you hear words and you hear phrases and you see actions, and you're transported back somewhere else, particularly to the Old Testament. And that's what Matthew's doing. He's saying, "Look, Jesus is doing all these things intentionally." Because he is the king that everybody has been waiting on. So giving us flashbacks. Well, here, here's the ways that he does this. Is that Jesus' vehicle, Jesus' welcome, and Jesus' title all point us to that he is the king that we have been waiting on. 
Let's look at this. Jesus' vehicle. Uh, again, in our minds, we're expecting a king rides in on a stallion, right? A, 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 you know, a huge white horse like George Washington style, right? Like, that's what a king does. But in the biblical worldview, no. Uh, the mode of transportation of a king, this is a donkey. So when we, we think and we hear donkey, we shouldn't think, oh, man, like, this is, doesn't seem like a, a king rides a donkey. It is. It is. And what's so great, what Matthew's done for us is this. We don't need, like, a decoder ring to understand the significance of the donkey. He's like, Matthew's like, hey, hint, hint, Zechariah already said that. Hint, hint, uh, let me go ahead. You know, if you're not paying attention of the significance of the donkey, l- let me just go ahead and tell you. And then he says, here, it's from Zechariah. Hey, the king is supposed to come humble and mounted on a donkey. So if you're not paying attention, I'll, I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. Like, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what the significance of the donkey is. This is exactly what the prophets have already said. That in Zechariah 9, 9, it foretells of a day that Israel's Messiah would come and ride in on the donkey. And that Zechariah is even pulling from other places, Genesis 49, where we'll, we'll talk about that text in a couple weeks, but Genesis 49 talks about the king who's going to come from the line of Judah. And it actually says that he, he's going to have a, a donkey, and it's going to be tethered. So same language, same thing that's going on here. So the vehicle is the vehicle of a king. His donkey. Second thing is this. His welcome it is also signaling that he is a king. Is that they're, they're rolling out the red carpet for him here, right? They're cutting palm branches and throwing them in the streets. They're taking off their coats and their cloaks and their garments, throwing them on the streets so that he can walk over them. Like this is a, a recognition. This guy is royalty. He is, he is the king that we've been waiting for. So they recognize that, these people. And if you hear what they're doing with their cloaks and their garments, it also should trigger in your mind another, another story from 2 Kings 9. Is, uh, what happens in 2 Kings 9 is a prophet is sent to, to Jehu, and uh, he's come to anoint Jehu as the new king of Israel. So he comes and he anoints Jehu, and he says, you're the new king of Israel. Jehu walks out, and his friends and his fellow officers are like, well, what did that prophet tell you? He's like, He's made me the king of Israel. And they, they're stunned. And they take off their garments and their clothes and they throw it on the ground so that Jehu can walk on them. This is the sign recognizing, hey, this guy, Jesus, is not, not like anybody else. Look, look, he is royalty. So let's take off our cloaks, let's cut palm branches and throw them in the streets so that he can walk on them because he is royalty. He is king. So their actions, their welcome of him is symbolic that he is the king. And lastly is this. His title signals that Jesus is king. So the crowds are chanting. They're chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? They're chanting Psalm 118. That's what they're chanting here for, for Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. Save us, we pray, O Lord. This is from Psalm 118. It feels equivalent to like the British national anthem in a sense. Save the queen. Long live the queen. You might have heard that, right? It's what the British National Anthem is. It's what it feels like here. Hosanna, Hosanna, which is the uh, Greek rendering of the Hebrew word, save us now. That's what Hosanna means. Save us now. Save us now. Save us now. That's what they're chanting at Jesus as he rides in on a donkey into Jerusalem. Save us now. You are the second Samuel 7 king. You are him. And so you have come to what they thought free them from Roman oppression what they thought 
Save us from the Romans. Save us, save us, save us. And so the whole city is stirred up. Jesus has stirred up the whole city where people are asking, who is this guy? Who is this guy that everybody is chanting about and they're throwing their cloaks on the ground for him? Who is this guy? They say, he's the prophet from, from Nazareth, which tells you that they don't really get the full gravity of who this guy is. He's not just a prophet. He's a king, right? So all the signals we get is that this Jesus is the king that they've been waiting for, the second Samuel 7 king. And so right now, you might, you might already be glazed over and thinking, Wes, you're not really telling me anything new. I, yeah, I got that. Come on, Wes, I know Jesus is king. I know that, right? Let me tease this out for us for a second. I, I want to first talk with anybody in here who is, who is an unbeliever, who is not trusted in Jesus Christ. Is this. Here's the significance of the, the statement that Jesus is king, is that every person in this world serves someone. Every person in this world has a ruler over their lives, has a king. So if you are in here and you don't trust in Jesus Christ, is that you, you are ruled by someone or something. You know, power may be your king. Wealth may be your king. Any drugs could be your king. Yourself, you may declare that you are king. But let me tell you this, what reality is this. Is that you may think all these things are your king, but you ultimately serve the prince of the power of the air. What Ephesians 2 tells us. You are actually under Satan's rule and dominion. And let me warn you, he is not a good king. He is not a good ruler. He does not seek your good. He actually seeks your harm. What the Gospels tell us is that he comes to steal kill and destroy he does not seek your good but you are under his rule and dominion and he has come to harm you not for your welfare so you are under a master if you don't believe in Christ you are under a very bad master but this morning you can you can actually you can come and know a good master so Jesus may not impress you with his entry into Jerusalem, but guess what? Jesus is the king that you need. He is the king that you need. He may not impress you by riding in on a donkey, but he is exactly what you need. And he is a good master. He comes for your welfare and your good to give you life and life abundantly. He comes for your good, unlike the prince of the power of the air. So I, I implore you this morning, if you are not in Christ, that you can be, and you can be under a good master who rules his people well, and that you can be transferred from the domain of darkness into the dominion of the beloved Son. This morning, right now, you can be under a good king who rules you well and who cares about you and your welfare. And then, for believers in here, is that when you say that you're a believer, you're saying that Jesus is Lord over your entire life, every component, and that you've submitted every piece of your life to him and his lordship. That's what you're saying if you say that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is your king. That's what you're saying, is that every component of your life is under his submission. And so ask yourself, is your parenting under his submission? Does your life say that he is Lord and your king when you parent or when you spend your money or where you spend your time or what you watch on television? Or how you talk to other people. Or how you talk to the waitress at lunch. 
Does your life and your speech say, yeah, Jesus is king? Because guess what? Either Jesus is king over every square inch of your life, or he is not your king at all. He does not share his kingdom. And there cannot be two kings. And so for a believer this morning, I just want to encourage you, is that either Jesus is Lord and King over every component of your life, or He is not your King at all. Put everything in a, under subjection to Him. Okay, so we see that Jesus is King, but let's, let's consider what type of King He is. The character of Jesus' kingship. Jesus' kingship is very unique because He comes and He, he rules gently and humbly. I get, you may be like me in that I expect all famous people to have really nice cars. Like, I just, I just expect that. Like, I mean, just all famous people should have, like, Porsches and Lamborghinis, right? But it was really interesting. I actually was reading an article on this about, like, famous people who don't have nice cars. John Goodman, anybody uh, familiar with John Goodman? Yeah, everybody knows John Goodman, right? John Goodman, for his life, drove a 1997 Ford F-150. Yeah, right? It just kind of, like, strikes you. Kawhi Leonard, if you don't know uh, who, uh, he's a basketball player, really famous, plays for the Toronto Raptors, played for the, the Spurs for a long time, was worth like $25 million on the day that he signed his NBA contract. Uh, and he, he drove a, he drives still today a 2007 Chevy Tahoe. Actually, no, it's a 1997 Chevy Tahoe. Make it even worse than that, right? Yeah, good model, right? <laughs> good model. He, he's, a, he's a wise man. But you just make this, this uh, assumption and association that if they're famous, they need to drive and they should drive a nice car, right? Or nice cars are only owned by famous people, right? We, we expect that that, that, that their vehicles should represent their economic status in a sense. And this is some, something similar of what is going on here when Jesus enters on the scene into Jerusalem, is that there's this wrong association is that there's this association that if he truly is this Davidic king, this ruler who's going to come and rule over them, then there's an association that he's come to do away with the Romans, their Roman oppression. That's their association. Okay, he's the second Samuel 7 king. Okay, he's come to put down all the Roman emperors. He's come to take names and crack skulls. That's what he's doing. Is that He's walking in Jerusalem, and he's coming to, oh, man, you're done for now. Our king's here. Oh, man, you've messed up now, Romans. Yeah, yeah, he's here. He's walking in. That's her, that's her expectation. Is that it, if this is the second Samuel 7 king, the king that they've been waiting for and longing for, then he must be here arriving on the scene to do away with their Roman oppression, right? They're associating Jesus' kingship with militaristic triumph and world domination, right? And crusades. But that is not how Jesus enters the scene. And that's not the type of kingdom that he's bringing. There's a guy, Simon Camilleri, says it like this. He, he says, they were right to praise him. They were right to exalt him and call him Hosanna and say all these things about him. They were just wrong in how he was bringing about his kingdom. They said he was going to bring it with a sword and with a military. But what does it say in the prophecy of Zechariah? is that he comes humble, right, gentle, meek when he enters on the scene. Is that this Jesus enters with a posture of humility and meekness and gentleness when he comes into Jerusalem. Not like 
the king that they expected to put down their Roman oppressors, right? Is that his kingdom and his kingship is very unique. It's not like other kings. He postures and has a disposition of gentleness. Is that he doesn't come to rule through oppression and persecution, right? Mistreatment and injustice and taking advantage of people. That's, that's how our world operates, right? Is that what's the number one principle if you want to get to the top? you got to step on people, right? You want to get to the top, it ain't going to be easy. you got to step on people on the way up. you got to crush people. And Jesus totally inverts this of what power and authority and kingdom looks like. He totally upends this and turns it upside down, redefines what that is. It's not about that at all. The, the text that Jim read at the beginning of this is, it just tells you that this King Jesus, He doesn't come to crush and to conquer. He actually comes to comfort and to heal. That's why when Isaiah says, man, this is one of my favorite lines, a bruised reed He will not break, and a smoldering wick He will not quench. Basically saying, He could break it. It's very, it's very breakable. He could. But He doesn't. So that's not what His kingdom and His kingship is about. That's not how he has come to rule. Because he has come to rule by means of a cross. Which is what makes the cross so insane, right? It makes it so insane. How how can a king rule through a cross? Kings don't rule by dying, right? Kingdoms don't last by people dying. Kingdoms last by staying alive and putting people to death. You're not going to death. Jesus says, I've I've come to, to upend what you think about a king and a kingdom and power and authority, and I've come to do it by my death, and through a cross, not through a sword. That's what his kingdom is about. So he is a unique king. And he's not come to bring tyranny and oppression, but humility and gentleness. And for us, think about this for a second. For us, if this is the character of Jesus' kingdom and kingship, then this calls us to recognize how we're to operate in our world. In a world that is filled with evil kingdoms, kingdoms of oppression and persecution and taking advantage of people, is that we as kingdom citizens are to be the ones who are advocating for people who are under regimes of oppression. For example, I think about William Wilberforce. Is that he recognized just the despicable nature of the slave trade. He recognized that it it took advantage of people and that it was killing people who were made in the image of God based on their, their race. This is what he said about it. So enormous, so dreadful, so irremediable did the trade's wickedness appear that my own mind was completely made up for abolition. Let the consequences be what they would. I, from this time, determined that I would never rest until I had effected its abolition. And so William Wilberforce, from that time on, used his, his influence and his position and the channels to put an end to this oppressive kingdom that took advantage of people. So what I ask you is that in a world where we live with kingdoms that oppress people, I mean, I mean we all know them. In a world that has kingdoms that oppress people and take advantage of people and desire and delight in doing it, are we using our positions, are we using our power and our influence 
to put these things, these kingdoms to death. Are you doing that? Are you using your ability and your strength to see the end of these kingdoms that exploit people and harm others? Because the nature of Christ's kingdom is one of gentleness and humility and goodness. And so if, Christ, if we are part of Christ's kingdom, then our motivation our, should be participating in this kingdom by seeing the end of other kingdoms that exploit people. Third is this. The citizens of Jesus' kingdom. Is that not only should this motivate us for participation uh, in Jesus' kingdom and the character of it, but, but the character of Jesus' kingdom, it being one of humility and meekness and gentleness, that is actually to be a hallmark of kingdom citizens. We are to be gentle and humble and meek people. That's who we are to be. Anybody growing up as a kid, did anybody ever have like a secret handshake with your like friend group? Anybody? Was anybody ever cool enough to be in one of those? You know? Yeah, a couple of you, right? You had, had a sweet, cool handshake. I was never part of a group like that. I was my own loner. Um, but, you, you know, the, the handshake kind of like confirms you're part of the group, right? Like it verifies, oh yeah, he's with us. Kind of like little rascals, you know, little rascals in the He-Man Woman Haters Club, right? I was about to say, I was like, Please tell me people in here have seen the movie. Yeah, yeah, you know, you, anybody know their sign? Watch hands off the top. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. That's, how you, that's how you know. Okay, yeah, he's part of us. He's part of the He-Man Woman Haters Club. Come on, come on in, come on in. So the, the, the handshake or the hand signal is like the, uh, it, it's the identifier. Yeah, they're part of our group. They're part of us. In Jesus' kingdom, we, we don't have a handshake. We have a lifestyle. That is what identifies us as part of Jesus' kingdom. Is that how we live says they are part of a different type of kingdom. One that is not part of this world. And so, our lifestyle and how we live is mimicked after our king. And so it certifies that we are actually part of his kingdom. And that we take on his posture and his disposition. The same posture and disposition that he took on when he entered into Jerusalem. That same posture is to be our posture in this life. One of humility and meekness and gentleness. This is what is to mark us. And so we look at, we look at the verse in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. You know, blessed are the meek. It's the same word for humble right here that we get. It's the same word. So humble, meek, gentle. All of these are kind of synonymous. Is that the same words here. And that, that one, one author says the definition of meek are these. Those who do not assert themselves over others in order to further their own agendas in their own strength. It sounds a lot like the Davidic king who's entering into Jerusalem right now. And so the same posture that Jesus takes on when entering into Jerusalem what the Sermon on the Mount tells us is that that is a posture that the, the kingdom citizen, the Christian, the believer, is to take on now in their own life. One of meekness and gentleness and humility. So that, that is the way that you certify, that you show that you are, that you are part of God's kingdom. Is you take on the posture of your king. That's what you do. But again, in our world, gentleness is not a trait that, uh, that shows that you're very powerful, right? It actually, people associate gentleness, oh, that's weak. Gentleness is weak. 
You can't be gentle in this world. People will take advantage of you. You're a pushover if you're gentle, right? You're a pushover if you're humble or, or meek. And again, Jesus redefines the terms for us. Gentleness is not meekness. Gentleness is not being a pushover. You can be firm and gentle. I mean, the next story after this one is Jesus. The next verse is this. Jesus is going in the temple and flipping tables, right? Uh, Jesus was just called humble and gentle, and now he's flipping tables and kicking people out of the temple. Like, that doesn't sound really gentle. That's because this is that these two things aren't, they're, they're compatible. That you can be firm and you can be gentle. And that's both what Jesus is, is that he is gentle and he can be firm. Sam Alberry says it like this, Gentleness is not the absence of strength, but the application of strength to a tender situation. It's the application of strength. That's what gentleness is. It's not weakness. It's how you use strength. And so in light of this, in light of seeing what Jesus' character and what his kingdom is about, what kind of king he is, he's a gentle, humble, meek king, in light of this, would you say that people see you as a gentle person, a meek, humble, gentle person? Or are you the kind of person that approaches every situation like a bull in a china shop? It doesn't matter whose feelings I hurt. As long as I say the truth and speak what is right, it doesn't matter who I stomp on in the way. We all, we, we all probably have operated like that sometimes. It doesn't matter. The truth is that is what matters most. So it doesn't matter if, about people's feelings and what they feel after I say the truth. As long as I say the truth, that's all that matters. Whoever gets hurt in the, the process, sorry, said the truth, right? Get over it. Have to deal with it. If this is your approach to things, this is certainly not the tone and disposition of Jesus. That's, that's not how he operates. Is that He isn't out to crush every flower in his wake, though he could. He doesn't talk to the Pharisees like he talks to everybody else. He's harsh on them, right? Because they should know better. But he doesn't talk to all the crowds like he talks to the Pharisees. So, is your posture and disposition with your, your co-workers, with your family members, with people who really bother you, right? With, with your children, with people in the church, is your disposition and posture towards them one that shows the gentleness of Jesus? Are you gentle with people? Because you can be firm, but we can also be gentle in that. So is your disposition marked by gentleness? Because that is Jesus' disposition. One of gentleness. Not seeking to crush and humiliate people, but to help people. So consider and reflect on that, Crosspoint. Do you have this disposition of Jesus? This posture? Are you gentle and meek like Jesus? Because if you're not, the way that you cultivate this disposition is you reflect on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That says, guess what? Jesus should not have been gentle with me. I, I don't deserve gentleness. What I deserve is God's wrath. Because I have been rebellious. That's what I deserve. I don't deserve Jesus being gentle with me. I don't deserve Jesus being kind and comforting to me. I deserve his hand of judgment on me. That's what I deserve. But guess what Jesus does? He extends his hand and he dies for his enemies. A hand of gentleness. 
not a hand of wrath. And so if you struggle, you struggle with gentleness with people, look at the life of Jesus and look at what the gospel of Jesus Christ has done for you. A gentle and kind Jesus extends his hand to a rebellious sinner. Are we gentle like Jesus? So this morning, I want to implore you, Jesus may not look impressive to you, but he is the king, and he is the king that you need this morning. He may not be the king that you expected, but he is the king that you need. And this is a warning that, yes, he came and entered into Jerusalem. He entered in Jerusalem in peace on a donkey. But Revelation 19.11 says this, he will not come again with peace on a donkey. He will come with a sword on a white horse to judge the nations. So let this be a warning. He comes right now in his triumphal entry. What we can celebrate today is that he comes in peace, offering salvation to all who would repent and believe in Jesus Christ. But that will not extend forever. Is that one day he will return on a white horse to judge the living and the dead with a sword in his hand. He comes in peace today, but he will come with a sword in the end. So I, I implore you this morning, repent and trust in this King Jesus Christ because you need him. You need him, and he is a good master, and he rules his people well, and he gives us security and safety, and he's gentle with those who are brokenhearted. Come and find safety and comfort and refuge in this King Jesus. Let us pray. God, we love you. We thank you again for your goodness to us in Christ. You're gentle to us, to us, God. And we don't deserve that. We're thankful that this morning on Palm Sunday we can celebrate that our King comes in an unexpected manner, but comes just as He said He would, humbly riding on a donkey. And that His kingdom and His character and His kingship are marked by humility and meekness and peace. So God help us in those really difficult situations where we want to just be firm and heavy-handed on people and just beat them down and humiliate them. God, let us remember that Jesus did not treat us like that. He was gentle with us. God, I pray let your word stir in us affections and love for Christ and motivate us to advance his kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand with me.